If we go back 10 years, there were promises that the Internet of Things would hit 50 billion devices by 2020, transforming businesses and lifestyles along the way. We're not even close to that. Why not? Welcome to this, the first in a series of weekly podcasts, The Wireless Noodle. I'm Matt Hatton, Technology Industry Analyst with Transformer Insights. Every week I'll dig into a topic or two from the world of artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, blockchain or some other disruptive technology, and look at how they affect businesses. Sometimes it'll be based on a big event or something that happened during the week. Sometimes it might be inspired by some research that I and the team at Transformer Insights have done. Or I may just pluck a random topic out of the ether. The aim is always to provide insight to business people on what's happening in the wonderful world of technology. This week, I'm going to be talking about a book I wrote earlier this year called The Internet of Things Myth. I would say it's available in all good bookshops, but it's not. It's only available on Amazon. I'm not going to try to serialise it, but I think it's worth pulling out a few areas from that book to discuss. Before we start, I should set the scene for those of you who are perhaps less familiar with the Internet of Things. Really, it's an umbrella term for a lot of different technologies and an almost incalculable number of use cases. But the central tenet is about connecting a remote device in order to either take data from it, control it, or both. The examples are varied, including, for instance, electricity smart metering, which removes the necessity to send someone out to read the meter, remotely piloted drones, connected heart rate monitors, pet trackers, factory automation, and so on. The constituent parts are a device with some form of connectivity, a network to connect that device, and some kind of software to take the data off the end device and deliver it to the back-end application. There are a bunch of other functions too, like device management and data analytics, but that, at its heart, is what IoT is and does. Back in 2011, some industry commentators were promising an IoT market of 50 billion connected devices by 2020. Well, we're in 2020, and we can safely predict that we won't be anywhere near that figure by the end of the year. Our latest prediction is between 8 and 9 billion connected devices. Probably would have been comfortably over 9 billion, but for the dreaded COVID-19. As a little side note, COVID has probably bumped up demand for IoT monitoring services for supply chain or automating manufacturing. There are also a bunch of specific COVID-related use cases that can be addressed by IoT, like occupancy monitoring and even contact tracing. But the challenge has been one of supply. Manufacturing has been slowed down, global hardware supply chains have been problematic, and installation has been delayed. More on the impact of COVID in the next podcast. Back to the task in hand. What happened to the 50 billion connected devices? Why did we not hit that figure or get anywhere near it? In the Internet of Things myth, which I co-authored with fellow IoT veteran William Webb, we tried to pull it apart a little, to lift the lid on the challenges and missteps that held back IoT adoption. The first thing to note is that not every company was forecasting 50 billion connected devices. In late 2011, for instance, Makina Research, an analyst firm which I founded, 
was predicting just 12 billion devices by 2020. We were conservative, but we still overshot the market size by about 25%. It's worth taking a moment, though, to say that over a 10-year forecast of something that's growing that rapidly, only being 25% out is really not that bad. However, it was the 50 billion figure that grabbed the headlines, at least in part because it was one of the bigger estimates. That said, I also remember seeing predictions of a trillion devices. At some point, you start getting into questions of definitions, and it's probably best not to go down that path. But if you're counting every sensor in every car or smartphone or any other device, you may well get to a trillion figure. But based on the idea of a standalone connected device, 50 billion captured the headlines. It's easy to see why some commentators got carried away. During the first half of the last decade, there was a substantial reduction in barriers to entry for using IoT. In fact, before 2010, we weren't even talking about IoT. We spoke of telematics or machine to machine. But a few things happened in parallel. Cost of hardware fell and connectivity costs plummeted. And there emerged a plethora of software platforms that made deployment and management of devices and data flows significantly easier. Between 2010 and 2015, the discussion shifted to the Internet of Things just as the technology became more democratised, more capable and cheaper. But in the second half of the decade, two things happened. Firstly, the technological progress dried up somewhat. I sometimes talk about the first IoT winter. In AI, artificial intelligence, they go in for winters a lot. There have been two AI winters so far, first in the 1970s and then in the mid-80s, the mid-90s. These are slow periods. Following times, a great technological innovation and the subsequent wave of progress that follows. For instance, the arrival of deep learning pulled AI out of its last winter. and We may be on the cusp of another in AI. IoT during the latter half of the 2010s felt similar. The great technological developments of the first half of the decade that heralded the change from machine to machine to IoT, although the terminology itself doesn't really matter, dried up somewhat. That isn't necessarily a bad thing. After such substantial progress, a period to allow the bedding in and adoption of a stable set of technologies is probably a good thing. Too much change can be unsettling for anyone adopting the technologies. How do you know you've got the right one? Will the suppliers disappear? Will I be left using an outdated technology for my IoT implementation, which I will probably have to live with for 10 years? It's good to have a little bit of stability in the technology environment. The second thing that happened, though, was that enterprises and consumers generally struggle to adopt and deploy these new technologies. Again, the big question was why? <laughs> Let's get one out of the way early on. There are some significant IoT use cases that are backed up by regulatory mandate. Things like connecting cash registers in the Czech Republic or fire alarms in the UAE. Even those applications that are driven by regulation have seen slower than expected growth. And some of them account for potentially billions of devices. As outlined in detail in the book, Smart meter rollouts in the EU alone were 200 million devices short in 2020, compared to initial mandates. 
The EU also had a mandate for connecting all cars to provide automatic emergency service response with something called eCall. This was similarly delayed, leading to a shortfall of up to 100 million devices. Beyond that, we had much-heralded government investment plans, such as in China and India, which failed to create the anticipated boom in smart cities connections. But the most pronounced shortfall was with discretionary IoT adoption. The bars around IoT perhaps fooled forecasters that the wacky ideas for connected products that graced the floors of the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas were realistic. Connected wine bottles, dental floss, toasters and rectal thermometers. The reality was that the benefit to the end user was limited and certainly not worth the associated premium. Certainly not if the customer was paying. I should speak up a little at this point for the often derided connected fridge. There is value in a connected fridge. It's just not in it telling you you've run out of milk. It's to provide information to the manufacturer or maybe even to provide refrigeration as a service ultimately. The problem with those business models is they they depend on the manufacturer picking up the additional bill of materials cost. Much better if the customer pays a premium for a connected version. But for the fridge, As with other products, the consumer does not seem keen to do so. Even where the product was viable, many IoT customers would have been put off by records of poor customer care, such as the bricking of devices like garage doors, lighting and music systems. We've seen this recently with the likes of Philips and Sonos. Lifecycle approaches more associated with smartphone apps were applied to physical products like lighting and music equipment that might otherwise have been expected to last for decades. The lesson that web-scale dynamics don't apply in the physical world is one that has seemingly taken a long time to learn. And what's more, the development process for IoT laid bare the inherent friction between the internet and the things worlds. The internet or software world is characterised by much greater tolerance of faults, less robust testing and faster iteration and time to market. The hardware industry, in contrast, comes from a heritage of organisations that are much more risk averse. Understandably so, because when hardware fails, people die. Sometimes it feels more like the internet versus things than the internet of things. While bricked products and poor user experience may be costly, frustrating and not conducive to encouraging adoption of IoT. Security and privacy threats also have the potential to cause fundamental mistrust of all things connected. There have been numerous examples of security flaws from the hacking of the Jeep Cherokee in 2015 to the Ring Santa Claus hack last year. These issues spill over into user reluctance to adopt. The same is true for enterprises, which have had equally challenging experiences. We should also at this point highlight that the vendor community has demonstrated some serious flaws in how it addressed the IoT market. In part, we can put this down to growing pains. For instance, many have shown far more interest in moving into other parts of the value chain or chasing unicorn style valuations than in delivering value. That's a topic for another time though. The conclusion is that the ecosystem are not being great in fostering a set of capabilities that are easy to adopt. Focusing in on enterprise IoT, there have also been big flaws in the approaches taken to implementation. Good ideas that have been rolled out badly, 
or for various reasons, not at all. Early IoT implementations were generally appended to existing practices, simply offering a more efficient way of doing things. For instance, monitoring refrigerated shipping containers as a way to ensure the cargo has been cared for within acceptable parameters. Very valuable, but not likely to necessitate a fundamental change in how the shipping company operates. As the complexity of the application increases, so too does the requirement to change business processes. Take, for instance, Antisimex pest control company, which introduced remote monitoring of its traps, an upgrade on the previous requirement to send a person to check them regularly. This relatively simple switch to a remote monitoring solution necessitated a new approach to customer care, workforce scheduling and more. As further complexity is layered on, the implications for commercial and organisational change grow even further. One of the more extreme examples is any IoT solution predicated on providing an X-as-a-service business model, such as paying for jet engines or agricultural equipment based on the number of miles flown or amount of grain gathered. These types of approaches necessitate a substantial overhaul of the way in which the organisation operates. For instance, the shift from a CapEx-based model, where the client pays an upfront fee for the hardware, to an OpEx-based model based on ongoing payments will transform the finance department with a recurring revenue model and a much greater loading of costs onto the balance sheet. That's in addition to adapting to a completely different sales model, ongoing customer care requirements, demand for field service technicians, and so forth. The change implicit in embracing IoT, and particularly the more sophisticated models within an organisation, ranges from disruptive to transformational. Adopters of IoT have typically not given sufficient consideration to the commercial and operational implications of deployment. Today, everyone knows that the biggest challenges with deploying IoT are in the commercial and operational changes that need to be made, rather than in just deploying a new technology. One of the reasons why organisations adopting IoT find themselves in a seemingly interminable series of proofs of concept, POC hell as I've termed it, is that they focus almost exclusively on the technology, rather than thinking about the wider business picture. This makes it almost impossible to progress the POC to full implementation. The fundamental issue is that it's harder to change organisational working practices and business models than it is to adopt new technologies. In the book, I examined eight major areas that are likely to be disrupted within an organisation if it's truly embracing the opportunities presented by IoT. These are Process the starting point for any IoT adoption should of course be the process, so at a bare minimum that changes. Business model. New business models await. That might be simple efficiency savings, or it might be more transformational like the as-a-service models that I discussed earlier. Finance. Many technologies create or change revenue streams. In the case of IoT, it's introducing typically recurring revenue streams. Or it might mean a complete overhaul of the finances, for the as-a-service-based models. People. New technology necessitates new skills. Every company is becoming an IT company or has a strategic requirement for IT capabilities. You need skills to match. Partners. As you deploy IoT, 
any enterprise needs to be able to select and manage a new set of partners, work with a new set of companies. And that's obviously going to be challenging. Systems. Inevitably, there will be new systems and integration with existing systems like ERP and CRM. Culture. This is perhaps the biggest one. IoT can fundamentally change how an organization operates. For instance, going from being a traditional manufacturer to being a services or IT-led entity. There's also an eighth element, change management. You need a structured and rigorous approach to the inevitable change. Any meaningful adoption of IoT will involve changes to most, if not all, of those eight areas. It is noticeable the extent to which adopters have ignored the more challenging transformational forms of IoT. IoT deployments have focused almost exclusively on low-hanging fruit, simple efficiency saving based on streamlining internal processes, typically. Done correctly, IoT is transformational to many aspects of operations. And it's not possible to harness IoT without also being able to make the necessary changes to people and processes. In the book, we offer a series of recommendations for enterprise adopters on how best to position themselves to make those people and process changes. This seems like a good way to tie up the first podcast. Those recommendations include Be bold. Some people advise you to start small. And it's true that the quickest ROI is usually from the simplest deployment. But most likely the small thing is not the thing that's causing you problems you won't find a competitive differentiator in small incremental change. The second recommendation, adopt a systems first approach. Look at your internal processes and systems and work out what you want to change and how you'll go about changing it to take advantage of IoT. Start from the business blockage and work back from there. Third recommendation, put someone other than IT in charge. The IT department needs to focus on the day-to-day running of the IT systems rather than the business transformation, which is implicit in IoT. A CTO would be great. And an evangelist at board level can make a huge difference to the success of IoT projects. The final recommendation. Make sure you're planning commercial and operational changes as well as technological it's a common mistake to focus on the technological aspect of testing and deploying IoT to the detriment of the commercial. The two strands need to be managed in parallel. With approaches such as these, enterprises can make the necessary changes to embrace the transformational possibilities presented by IoT. Finally this week, I should introduce myself. For the majority of the last 20 years, I've been a technology industry analyst, advising tech companies and adopters on new technology developments. My coverage areas have spanned cable TV, mobile, and for more than a decade, a focus on the Internet of Things. I founded a company called McKinney Research back in 2011, which we rapidly established as the go-to experts on IoT. Over the years, though, We found ourselves talking about all manner of new technologies, including AI, blockchain, data exchanges, edge computing and so forth. All of these texts were interlinked and for many it was impossible to envisage one without another. 
As a result, when I came to co-found another business late last year, it seemed obvious to me that our remit will be broader than just the IoT and needed to include all disruptive technologies and the impact that they have or will have on businesses. In future shows, I'll talk about horizon scanning, but essentially that's what I do. Watch the technology horizon for the next big thing that might disrupt everyone's business. And let's face it, at the moment, there are a lot of things that you need to keep your eye on. In the next podcast, I'll look at the impact of COVID-19. I know we're all a little sick about hearing about it, but it's a key topic of the day and it's impossible to ignore. Specifically, I'll be talking about the attempts to use AI to solve the COVID-19 threat. And I'll return to the IoT topic to delve into the impact that COVID will have on the growth of the various elements of the Internet of Things. Links to some of the research that I refer to in this week's show, as well as a transcript of the recording, will be available on the podcast website at wirelessnoodle.com. Thanks for joining me. I've been Matt Hatton, and you've been listening to The Wireless Noodle.